Hello world, this is TJ Morris, and you're listening to ET Radio. Welcome aboard all you ground troops spinning around smartly. Thank you everybody on the planet Earth, home Gaia, that's been uh, promoting us and, and telling their friends. Our spikes are amazing on this Allied Command organization. Uh, it's absolutely amazing how many people are interested in what we're doing. We didn't even put up UFO secret space, but apparently they're going to trust us to lead them forward. And I put uh, a mad painter on here. So, mad if you can hear me on Skype, you're our producer for Friday's too, and you're welcome to come in. And we apologize to Mad uh, for Ken Johnston and Teresa J. Morris on Mondays on Radio, Revolution Radio. But Janet Carelessen's showing up, and she's here, and we're going to talk about I'm not even sure what we're going to talk about other than getting this Allied Command. Uh, going with at least three directors right now on the planet. That is Ken R. Johnston Sr., uh, also known as Ralph Kennedy Johnston Sr., who worked at NASA through Grumman as a consultant and an astronaut in training and trained others with over 3,000 hours uh, minimum. And we're going to have him talk about some of his NASA information. And Janet Carroll Lesson worked in the business in uh, video and uh, audio in the movie industry in Pennsylvania while she was at University of Pennsylvania and I brought in speakers like Linda Moulton Howell and she was a Trekkie and I was too Star Trek and we got together talking about events having to do with the future like Star Trek and then she and I met in Psychic Network in uh, the Hilton Hawaiian Village in the uh, 94 I believe 93 and 94, but we'll have her talk too because the three of us are writing a book, but we're all space enthusiasts. So we have the ACO Association for the Allied Command Organization, and we have the UFO Secret Space Command, and uh, this is a group of thousands of people and uh, some more than others in social media, and then we have uh, this UFO Association, which is like a trade association, but I started back with Stanton T. Friedman and uh, George Feiler and my husband, Thomas R. Morris, way back in the early 2000s, and I think it was 2003, actually. But uh, I just have gotten back for now in 2019. I'm being asked to reactivate myself in a better way and to bring us together, and we've come up with the ACO because it's been good to us for the Ascension Center organization and the Ascension Center network, which Janet has. And then you've probably heard of David Wilcock, who likes to talk about the Ascension and the various levels of that. But tonight we're going to talk about the space travel and time travel. And uh, we may even talk about NASA and what they're really doing. And I've written an article that I've put out on our uh, various websites, including Cosmos Expo. And Janet Carroll Lessons helped me run radio for seven years now, almost eight, coming up June. And so uh, she's here with me now to help me. And Ken R. Johnston, I don't see a mad, but I've already put his name up here, so we'll just leave it for now. So uh, I guess let's get started by introducing Ken and Janet, each letting them tell you a little about themselves so you guys around the world can work with us. So uh, Janet, why don't you... Ladies so first. Quick. Okay. Okay. We'll let, yeah. One, go ahead. We're going to let okay, you I'll go, go first. first. <laughs> anyway, I'm Janet Karamesson. I live in Maui, Hawaii. I'm a ET contact experiencer. 
I've been interacting with extraterrestrials and paranormal phenomena all of my life. Um, back to even pre-birth, I have memories before I came in. And then in this life, I've uh, worked on Johnson Atoll in a military installation. I was in the underground base. Um, so been working with the whatever that program's called, that's up for debate, the secret military somehow. Uh, there's different terms, secret space program, but people don't like that. I don't know. We're figuring it out. Allied Command. I guess we've said about Allied Command <laughs> for now as to what the program is called. Uh, some people call it Project Stargate, the one I was in. Uh, some people are in other programs. But we're, we're piecing it together because that's the grand mystery. We don't know what's really going on with this secret program, but we're piecing it together. That's why we're here tonight doing the Allied Command. I'm going to see if we can figure this uh, mystery out and solve it, but I don't think they're going to let us do that until there's full disclosure, and I don't know if full disclosure will happen in our lifetime. In the meanwhile, I'm writing books. Uh, TJ and I are writing a book, and I'm writing an autobiography of all the stuff that's been going on in my life, and uh, I work with my husband, Dr. Sasha Alexson, and we do books on the Anunnaki and other aspects of the UFO paranormal extraterrestrial field and we just keep uh, doing what we can I know Ken who's up next is going to tell you about how he's going to be at an event in uh, the UK and someday I hope I can go there because I've never been to Europe so anyway I think that's enough about me uh, back to you TJ so you can introduce Ken Ken R. Johnson Great. Ken and Janet and I are authors and speakers sharing life together on the planet with many, many other people. But Ken, our Johnston is accepted in our new business for the ACO as the Allied Commander, but he's also the fleet commander helping us with figure out all these different groups out there at the universal level, which is higher than the solar warden that many people have heard about from Corey Good out there in the lower levels. But let's let Ken, start by introducing himself. So, Ken R. Johnston, Sr., what do you want us to call you, Fleet Commander or FC or just Ken or whatever? You be tell sure, us. Be sure and call me in time for dinner. That's the most important thing. Um, no, right. just call me uh, – um, well, I guess we the Fleet Commander's um, five-star admiral. You can either call me Admiral Ken or just Ken. Uh, works fine with me. You want me to call oh. Admiral Ken? Admiral Ken, <laughs> if you want to take over, now, now, there is no one higher in our group because it's just, you know, the O-10 is going to run the force or the uh, Space Force, and that's a government officer at the 10th level. So, But he would be under you as far as we're concerned. So why don't you just tell everybody how you got into the space business. And this is 3D really? reality, folks. Right. Go ahead. So yeah. well, I, I guess the best way to go to jump all the way back till I was in the uh, third grade in a little town called Hart, Texas, and uh, a step that stepfather named T.C. Ray. Anyway, he got a phone call. By the way, this was when we had one of those devices hanging on the wall that had a little little speaker thing that you could talk into and a thing to hold on the cord up to one ear. You know, that's how far back it was, like 1945, something like that. Anyway, we got a call and said that there was a lightning strike that hit just right out from the uh, – uh, the property where we lived, and so my brothers, two older brothers and I, we put on our rubber boots and raced across the dirt roads we lived in those days, not the pavement, and went out there and found this big flattened-out circle about, oh, 100 feet in diameter, and uh, there was this 
I thought it was a bird, but it wound up uh, it was a I thought it was a whooping crane. But thanks to hypnotic regression through Dr. Sasha Lesson, we found out that it was actually a gray, and that was the beginning of me getting involved, I guess, with extraterrestrials, et cetera. But I went on and became a pilot. Um, uh, was in the Marine Corps, went to officer pilot training in Pensacola, and got out in 19. 19- 66, um, about the time NASA was really bu- building up the Apollo program, my brother, uh, Dr. A.R. Johnston, was in, was in charge of the vacuum chambers there, and he said, get your fanny down here because I need pilots and people with uh, some uh, electronic experience. I rushed down there, and I had offers from five different major aerospace corporations, of course, making a whole lot more money than we made when I was in the military. At any rate, I signed on, and for 14 years, I was... Uh, one of the civilian astronaut consultant pilots, and uh, I had the privilege of being in closed-circuit uh, meetings with people such as uh, Dr. Werner von Braun, as well as um, uh, the people of NASA, <clears throat> and uh, ultimately wound up uh, when they cut down the um, research and development flights to the moon and made it just ordinary, just mission flights to the moon. Um, they laid off 30,000 employees nationwide, and that's when I took my cue and uh, went up to Seattle, Washington, and went to work for the uh, Grumman Aerospace Corporation as a 737 flight instructor. So that, that got me up to there. Uh, then later, um, I was listening to radios and things, and a person by the name of Richard C. Hoagland, and they were looking for people that had documents and records and things about our space program and what we may have found on Mars and what have you. And, of course, in those days, you know, we kept our mouths shut because we had uh, top-secret clearances. And, um, you know, we'd, I'd waited up 30 years at the time, and I, I wound up in touch with him, uh, Mr. Oldman, when he was in Seattle, and I took him to my house, and I showed him the documents and records that I had kept. And uh, since it was more than 25 years, I figured, okay, it was time to make things public. And I went to Washington, D.C., and we made the presentation to um, representatives from all the major countries in the world in which we uh, laid it out that there were bases on the moon and uh, looked like we have bases on Mars. Since then, thanks to the regression session, I found out that I actually um, became one of the um, secret space program pilots and uh, operated on Mars and flying what I call the hopper, but it was um, a small craft that could carry as many as six. But then uh, uh, instead of uh, having um, blades swinging around above your head like a, like a helicopter or jets, this thing had... Um, small anti-gravity rings that caused it to lift up off, and then I could do what I call hop. We would program in the longitude and latitude on Mars where we wanted to land, hit the button, and it would go up, arc over, and come down, and then I'd hover and be able to to land it. So that got me that far. Now, where I'm at right now is trying to help get the truth out to the world, and um, that's dangerous. I know that because I've already had threats. And uh, fortunately, the documents and records I have, I um, had them digitized and given to the um, Roswell UFO Research and uh, Research Center, as well as several other major universities, so that it wouldn't do any good to get rid of me, because if they did, uh, it would create a big stink. And hopefully that's true, what I was told. <laughs> Just hang on. And now I'm having the opportunity of working with, with um, uh, uh, Janet, as well as Uh, TJ, and we're going to be involved in in producing, and it may seem like we're playing games, but it's, to me, we're putting together an organization of 
the um, uh, space fleet worldwide because as soon as um, and I'm now right now I'm going to go ahead and say what my my prediction is and it's September 22nd 2019 and this is going to be holding until that time comes up if it does I'll find out I'll know exactly why there's supposed to be a total um, acknowledgement of the existence of extraterrestrials in our contact and what's been going on so there's we only have a few months left so you need to stay tuned and um, if you've got information that you've been holding back all these years get in touch with me and we'll see that we get the right right people and the right information out to everybody else in the world that's about it for me Ken Ken yes, can you ma'am. tell us more about that date where do you, where do you get that date what what's your source of well, information <laughs> Uh, well, if I did that, I'd probably put that person into a, a little bit of danger. But a lot of it has been uh, – some of it came from the, the regression session, but then also with other people that have come forward and those that are contacted me after I did come forward. And by taking what they were doing and where they were and what they're expecting to happen, I was able to piece it together, and, and that's where I came up with exactly – now, by the way, I've, since I came forward and said September twenty second, 2019 – there have been other people that are well-known, and I won't say their names, but uh, they put on programs, and, and, all, and all of a sudden now they're using the, the September 22nd that I had put out on the radio along with TJ a couple of months ago or several months ago. So that's is about that as close the, as I can give you. the equinox or something? The, what is that, around the – Well, now, uh, uh, part of that does is, if I'm not mistaken, that is when Mars will be at it, one of its – Closest approaches to uh, to our orbit. Somebody can better uh-huh. check on me if my see if my memory works right. Sasha ought to know that stuff. Well, it's, it's expertise. Yes. Um, so you mentioned you evoked Warner Braun Braun Braun, and I'm watching a series called Strange Angel about Jack Parsons of JPL. Um, right. Of, of JPL, which was I guess part of. NASA and Jack Parsons was um, communicating with Werner Braun Braum uh, ever since he was 18. So he's born in what did we figure out 1914. So um, before before World War II, he started communicating with him, right. and they were sharing uh, rocket fuel formulas, right? And I'm watching yep. the show, and in last night's episode. Um, they they realize that Braun Braun is able to or he's threatening he's he's joined Hitler's forces and he's saying I can launch a, um, a missile from Germany that will hit London. So they go and they get Jack Parsons. Now this is a fictionalized thing, but it's based on a book about Jack Parsons. And this, these are pieces of history that I wasn't aware of, right? So I'm I'm you're you're. A, I don't know, you're, you weren't born in 1914, but you're older than we are. Um, so maybe you have a little bit more <laughs> no, information. I, I'm only 77, so I've got a long ways to you're go. You're 77. And Sasha's yes, 78, and he was oh. born in 1940. So he was born, you were work. born when World War II started. 1942. You, okay, yep. so you were, World War II was on while you were born, which doesn't make you an expert, but you were alive when that action was happening on this planet. Anyway, um, so I was, I was just shocked about that. But um, and, and it's a good show. I recommend it. It's on CBS Full Access. 
And uh, I'm in the middle of it. So don't tell me the end. Don't tell me the end. And the second season premieres June 2nd, 2019. So uh, I want to catch up and be caught up to win the second season. But um, so this song, when, when he was born, when Parson was born, all the scientists back in the 20s and 30s were saying it's impossible for us to go into space. So he had to go up right. again. When he was at, at Caltech, he was saying, what do you mean it's impossible? So he was uh, talking to Von Braum, and they were doing this, these fields across the world, uh, the slow motion way, which was a written letter in cursive. You remember kids who used to write longhand? Yeah, that's what we used to do back then, talking about the phones, right? <laughs> People used to write right. longhand, put it in an envelope. Lick it close, stick it on a stamp, and send it across the world. I don't know how long it took a letter to get from California to Germany and back. But, um, so they were figuring it out back then, defying the given science. But now what we know with the secret space program, what we think we know, is that the Nazis uh, and all those people, or the aliens that were working with the Nazis, the secret space program, that was probably uh, starting up back then, or maybe part of it, aspects that uh, were in full swing. So from what you recall with Dr. Lesson, and you were on Mars, was that a full action by the time you were there with uh, bases? I, I, I haven't um, read the book or, you know, seen anything about the regression. When you uh, were on okay, Mars, what was it like there? Okay, you're referring to the... Uh, uh, the the, the hypnotic regression on book number um, that's actually my second book. Um, this right. was the, the regression of a NASA whistleblower, and um, uh, that was published over a couple of years now. It's, it's amazing how fast time is going when we're trying to keep up and get information now. Um, right. Your question for me was ask your question again so that I can keep okay, up with you. Okay, so here. what do you recall when you were on Mars? Where was there a full base there? Was it a city? Was it ruins? Was it all modern? Was it Americans? Was it a joint fleet with you know, other, okay. you know, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you recall? Okay, from the second progression, like, and, I haven't, for a little bit. and I haven't, um, I haven't published that second session that we had. Um, <clears throat> we actually have some bases, and, I, and I've seen, um, well, before I was even uh, hypnotized or regressed, um, Bases, but the bases aren't like you'd expect an airport where you can really check it out and see it. There, in some cases, it looks like it's just a, a a big square block that has an entrance, a door to it, and that's actually entrance. And you go down the elevators to underground the underground bases. Now, um, as far as the craft that we used to um, um, well circumnavigate around Mars, those um, are in the side of of a, of a hill or small mountain where you have a basically it's what they did down at Area 51 and they went over to um, not too far from there and they hollowed out part of a of a, a mountain area and had a, a a fold down door. This is what we have on Mars where we have our various little hopper machines and things like that. So it, it's a flattened out area, but you wouldn't recognize it. Um, if you were to be flying over it, it's pretty well, pretty well hidden. So that's kind of what I, what I remember from the the session, what it looked like, and where we kept the hoppers that I got to fly one of those things. So, um, as far as uh, Von Braun was concerned, working at NASA in Houston, um, 
when we would have um, review sessions once a month usually um, on our progress because we were in a space race with Russia to be the first ones to land on the moon and return safely back to the earth. That's what John F. Kennedy said, that within this decade had to accomplish that. Well, um, at these meetings, now I was just a, a lowly little engineer and uh, test pilot with, with Grumman to be one of the, the um, what they call us, the um, oh, uh, civilian astronaut consultant pilots. That's what my uh, uh, lunar module spacecraft logbook has me titled as. At any rate, our job there was to sit back, keep our mouths shut, and maybe meet the people during and after the meetings. But while it was going on, we just kept our mouths shut unless one of the, the head directors, in this case Von Braun or uh, those in charge of the vacuum chambers, would come up and they had to uh, answer certain questions and things. They would they would then ask us, those of us that were doing the work, to elaborate a little bit on those. So that's that's how I had first-hand contact directly with uh, Vona von Braun. And then actually, um, and not well, Dr. Thornton Page and those folks that were the debunkers, but also um, Dr. William Tompkins, and not Dr. William uh, he he was sitting in on uh, several of those meetings that I was in. In fact, that we uh, even met uh, for dinner and some things like that outside of um, J not JPL but um, one of the other major um, aerospace companies there. And um, um, yeah, <laughs> what do you call it, Johnson Spacer? Now, right now, people listening, and if I sound like I'm stuttering, et cetera, thank you for people who are using their their cell phones and driving vehicles and not watching what they're doing. We were rear-ended almost two years ago now. My wife was driving, and I was sitting in the passenger seat. She got hit so hard that it slammed back against the the, heat, the uh, seat headrest, and it caused a little bit of damage in the front wheel. So I can be talking along and trying to give you direct answers, and then it'll go blank, and I'll have to ask you, okay, now what was I just talking about? And then I can pop back in. It's rough. I'm I'm healing. It's been almost two years, and I'm making a lot of progress. But it is something I'm adamant about. If you know, um, someone calls you on the cell phone, if it's important, when you get someplace, you can call them back, and you're not going to lose anything. You know, so um, there, some of us have gotten ourselves hurt a little bit, and it's sometimes it's not by accident. I truly believe that. I, there are certain organizations that want to do their best to get rid of some of us that still have answers and uh, the truth and the everything that we can come forward with that information. So I hope that answered your your, your question, uh, Janet. You have another one? Yeah, that, that was pretty good. So, um, so oh, yeah, so when you were talking, so you actually met Bill Tompkins. Bill Tompkins wrote the book, Selected by Extraterrestrials, and he explained to the world how there was a full-on a program going to get us to not just to the moon, but to take um, they were going to take the pre-manufactured structures to create a full moon base. So the front program was NASA, but the real program uh, was to colonize the planets, colonize the stars. And he had been right. working at that level. So when you were at these meetings, let's let's focus uh, a little bit on your meetings with. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware that you had met Bill Tompkins. So, fill that in for me a little bit again. So, what was the first time you met Bill? In what capacity? Um, 
were you talking about the secret space program aspect or the uh, NASA aspect when you were no, right. meeting with him? No, at, the, at that time, we were still, um, well, we were just finished up the vacuum chamber testing, and we're getting ready to go for the very first um, Earth orbital flight where we would separate the lunar module from the command module uh, and then back away for several miles and things and then be able to re-rendezvous and then dock. We practiced that uh, in Apollo 9, and then uh, we did Apollo 10 and flew to the moon and separated in orbit around around the moon and didn't land on Apollo 10 on, on the moon, but we rendezvoused and docked again and proving out each step by step. Well, what I was involved with, and we had the the meetings uh, where we had the various contractors, uh, Grumman, Northrop, uh, Boeing, et cetera, we would have representatives from each one of those companies giving a, uh, a report on our progress um, to the NASA directors, uh, Chris Kraft and the rest of them. So uh, that's where I had the privilege of sitting in on the meetings with uh, Von Braun as well as uh, and then I met um, – um, um, there we go. There he is. Bring him up. You call him Bill Tompkins. Yeah. Um, Bill Tompkins, yes. Yep. Um, I got to um, got to know him just ca- ca- casually and then uh, a couple of interesting events that took place uh, after work, et cetera. Um, and then um, didn't really see much or hear from him until, oh, mercy, according – if he is – and I have a question whether or not he actually passed away or, or instead went to uh, Mars, to the bases on Mars. But um, – Let's say that if he did pass away, I met him there at Contact in the Desert um, uh, two years ago, I guess it was. Wow, time's fast. And uh, we just got to chat a little bit and confirm the fact that, yeah, we did run into get to uh, each other way back in about 19 – ooh, that would have been uh, 60 you – now, Apollo 11 was in 69, so that had to be in 67, 68 that we uh, – we're actually uh, working sort of together. So that that's how I made the, well, the contact was, with, with him. That was actually at the MUFON conference in Vegas. I was there. And that was oh, the was only that one that he got to do before he died or, or was relocated. That was in Vegas in um, not okay. last year, but yeah. the year before. Yeah. So I, know I, was there. I, had, I, I had to go. I was watching yeah. you run around with everybody, right? So. Um, <laughs> It was like a big family reunion, right? <laughs> but, hey. Well, then the thing there is that see, I had to leave. I had to leave that and go to India, and uh, that's when I uh, returned back to India because I was doing lectures at universities in India at the time that was going on, and so you know, it, and I was almost uh, almost taken out while I was in India on my second trip, and that's uh, thanks to those um, uh, debunkers that uh, we're involved in. And I don't mind telling the guy's name if he's still alive. And that was, um, yeah, what's his name? Here we go. Anyway, he he called, he called the director of um, science of India and uh, got in touch with him, told him that I wasn't who I said I was, that I was was just there to get money for them, giving lectures and talk. And uh, boy, they got their uh, assistant director of science came and sent a a person up to uh, talk to me at the, uh, place where they had me visiting, and um, they, they, they came out with the questions about, you know, do you do this? And I said, hey, let me show you documents and prove who I am. And the guy said, oh, wow, I'm glad. He says, because somebody was coming out and saying uh, um, that, that I really wasn't the right person, et cetera. So they they took me off the mountain for the 
place was, and we went down to the main airport, went in, and the uh, assistant director of science in Chennai, India, uh, got the director of uh, police, really, security at the airport, put me in a holding room, bought me a ticket to get me out of out of Chennai and back to the United States and said, don't come back. Well, I have a letter on my, my wall here, a letter of apology that they didn't check out and find out that James Oberg was um, just out there trying to debug and, and do his job of shutting down so we couldn't get the truth out to everybody. So it got real dangerous yeah. for me. So I'm, I'm fortunately, um, it, I'm glad that we, um, that I've survived that and I'm still going on strong. So we're, we're going to yeah. get more information out to everybody. Go ahead. And, and just to correct you, because <laughs> I was there too, that was after UFO Congress that that happened. He went to, no, really? he went to, uh, yeah, because we were saying, don't go, Ken. We, we felt you were in danger, but you went anyway. And then you were. So anyway. <laughs> and I was I was in danger. You were right. I it shows me I should listen to you, your psychic abilities more. Yeah, and it, it was Karen was there too. We were going, Don't go, Ken, don't Ken. We, we love you, Ken, don't go. Anyway, you weren't really I don't think they were gonna kill you, but you did have a bad time, so that was sad to see. I mean I was hoping everything would work out for you, but anyway. I'm glad they apologized. At least that's the happy ending. They they apologized. No, I've been invited back. I've been invited back. I've been invited back. My wife says no. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. I don't blame her. You know, you know, I don't blame her. You know, you're precious. It's like that car accident. The car accident. Uh, I'm not so sure that uh, the person that rear-ended us uh, doing, oh, I tell you, it destroyed her vehicle. Uh, She survived. She was seat-belted in tight. So were you. you. We were stopped dead still at a TM station. And my wife just had that intuition to put it into park and set the brake while we're waiting on the, the afternoon rush hour traffic going straight across in front of us. If we hadn't, we'd oh, have been wow. smashed right out in the middle and probably broadsided and would have probably killed us both. So, uh, there's there's well, reasons for me still those, to be alive. Um, I wonder about those Manchurian-type candidate things. I was sitting in a um, yeah. – I was putting on a conference, and I was sitting in traffic in Golden Gate Bridge. And this um, Manchurian candidate type guy just came up behind us, going 65, rear-ended yep. us. And I was in agony for a couple of years until I finally figured out how to get my body out of agony because I was everything was right. broken in my back and twisted up and stuff like that. So My wow. wife's still suffering. Anyway. Well, we're, we're both still suffering oh. from it, but uh, making progress. Hopefully, that we'll fully recover in, in a period of time. At least, at least we're doing yeah. well enough that uh, we can get out and do the job. So, that's so anyway, good. that's how I, I came in contact with um, um, Bill Tompkins, that, and um, a little bit more on some of the scientists and engineers that I worked with there at uh, um, the Johnson Space Center and even at Cape Canaveral and Cape Kennedy, of course, the same place. And um, then um, the whole business of going to work for the Boeing Company and out in Seattle and moving family out there, and that's where I met my wife 37 years ago, <laughs> and uh, have been married ever since. So. That's good. That's good. Not everybody can say happily married <laughs> that many years. Not every, not everybody is, <laughs> but it's nice to find out that we actually knew each other past lives. And when you figure she was from um, northern Canada, and I really came from Texas. 
and we met in Seattle, Washington, what are the chances of probability of that happening unless it was designed? Right. So we, we'll accept it. Well, we were, I have a theory we that a lot, of these things, a lot of these things are orchestrated. That's part of my theory. Is that, yeah, I agree. They, there's so many. And that was explored in um, Whitley Stryver's book called Majestic. He yep. was uh, hinting that the ETs or somebody wants us to meet. So they orchestrate these things. So maybe on some level, the three of us have all met because of some. You took the words design. right out of my mouth. <laughs> For yeah. some reason, we were destined and designed to meet each other. So, and and the places and, where we've met are rather strange too. So, uh, there there's a lot of um, selections going on by ETs and and or um, deities that are getting us to the right place at the right time with the right stuff, so we can get things to happen the way. They want it to happen. So, I feel, TJ, I feel you're okay kind of that. quiet. And then um, you mentioned somebody from NASA that TJ knows. Who's that guy from NASA that Chris? Chris Craft, right? Yeah. Yeah, TJ. You know Chris, right? Well, <laughs> not intimately. <laughs> I mean, you but know him. Are you met him? Flight director. Chris, no, I was, yeah, uh, I met a lot of people. I was at the same then, party. I was at the same party you were in, so <laughs> careful what you say. <laughs> well, well, this uh, is before I met TJ. Apparently, you met your your first husband was yeah, my husband. Chris. My first husband yeah. was hired by NASA, but Chris Kraft had to d- sign off on his papers because he it was uh, he had five scholarships and we just got married and had a baby we'd done our clearance papers and everything but it was some kind of rush to get him from going because he had gone down to the military enlisted what is it met down in Houston uh downtown and uh I've been there too but uh, at that time he was having to join because they had the draft during the 60s, and we had the Vietnam War coming up, the police action, really. But, uh, and so Chris Kraft signed off, and he became the supervisor of the typing pool for NASA during the Apollo missions, I think, 8 through 7 to 11, or anyway, whatever they were from 67, uh, 68, uh, on up to when they gave the slips for Grumman. But he still got to work for NASA, but... Uh, now, Tompkins worked for uh, TRW, and uh, right. I, the, my neighbors worked for TRW. So Janet, when You know what TRW stands for? You know what TRW stands for? No. Tom, Thompson, Romel, uh, Goldrich. Yeah. Uh, the three of the, the actually, uh, I think, got back to the old Germans and their, their space program. That's where TRW originally got its name. They, it's too hard, complex to remember it. And, uh, we just shortened it up to TRW, and we lived it with that. So, anyway. Did you work way, for TRW careful. and Grumman? I didn't know you worked for uh, – do, do I know you worked I, for TRW too? Yes, I did. I did. Because the way they had the whole space program set up, I can look back at it and say that's how they were able to maintain secrecy is because about every three years, every contract's uh, – you know, one, one year and a different one a different year, but the contracts would be cut, and we would uh, – the would get reassignments and we would either lose our jobs or have to go someplace else. And once we landed on the moon, um, who was that? The president, well, anyway, the director of the whole space program 
says, oh, it was Nixon. He said, we're no longer doing a research and development. We're doing routine flights to the moon. And the companies had to cut back. There were 30,000, actually 30,000 employees just for Grumman itself scattered all over the United States because we were in the race with with um, Russia to get to the moon and get back the quickest and safest. And um, once we had accomplished that goal, some people figured we shouldn't be spending all that money to, to go to the moon. And, it, you know, it, it lost its, its thrill and its excitement and they cuts back so far that uh, it's a miracle that uh, that's that's why each time they would have a cutback, I would wind up going to a different company. Uh, and um, then I came back from going into doing the business by myself. I came back and worked for TRW, and I've been with um, Northrop and Grumman and Boeing. <laughs> so, and, and that was only in 14, 14 years that I was uh, with there. So there was no retirement coming out of uh, NASA and the government. That's when I left, went to uh, Seattle, and stayed with one company long enough to get a retirement. Not much, mind you, now that we have all this inflation, but it's better than nothing. Anything else on that question? Well, you said TRW, so uh, initial 1984, there was a welder named Charles Thompson to making engine valves, but later on uh, it said Charles Thompson. I've looked at the TRW Thompson Products, so that I guess that's what you're saying. Thompson well, Motor Thompson, Products. Thompson, not Wall, Tompkins, Wall. But Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, Thompson yeah. with a P. Yeah, Thompson. Wallwells, Wallwells. Anyway, it, we, we, none of us could pronounce it clearly enough, so it just we just put TRW. It worked. Well, they so. started working with the Hughes Corporation. Now they had the ICBM. And I think right. that's how they got involved in the Atlas, the Gemini missions, where you know we had a lot of TRW people living next to me, and I knew them coming and going out of NASA. So this is something we can get into in this part of uh, the show is how these different people, civilian co- contractors, astronauts, and then those that work for NASA. My husband worked directly for NASA over the typing pool. That's why I got to hear things and hadn't he called me up to I got to go around NASA, but I got to know a lot of people, Janet, because I had had a relatives that had me go to White Sands and worked at Los Alamos and they were very curious because I had a couple of uncles come and go from the NASA there and my uh, husband's father worked for Grumman, the same one that Ken worked for, right? Ken now did you right. say you did right. work with TRW and Grumman, or, yes. or tell me. No, tell me started off started off working for Grumman in 1966, and then after three years there, I went to work for the um, uh, BRN, and uh, that was at the uh, Lunar Receiving Laboratory. Then after that, I went to work for. <laughs> uh, God, I have to get out my <laughs> my uh, space uh, technology joint. laboratories. Well, yep. you, I know you went so, to Beth Page. But did you work anything with the JPL or Jet Propulsion Laboratories at all, JPL? Uh, only not directly for JPL, but they, of course, um, they had their people come to just about every other meeting going on uh, with the other uh, aerospace corporations. But the thing, like I was pointing out, that we got after ever to three years, we'd get laid off, and that's how they maintained uh, secrecy because we were we had secret clearances. We weren't allowed to talk to anybody uh, outside of those that were 
uh, authorized, <clears throat> and then by uh, switching us from what there, we would come. I would come across things that looked like we had some kind of a secret uh, spacecraft business going on. In fact, a, a friend of mine, we stumbled into one of the probably Building Twenty Seven. Now that I think about it, uh, and there was a small two-man spacecraft that was in the high bay, and uh, we tried to find out a little information about that, and then it got all hush hush. That's the whole thing, though. Is you know, you you something happens, you get transferred to another company, and then you want to try to find out. But we were pushed and moving so fast to be sure that we beat uh, Russia to the moon and back that we, by the time we found out, we were all laid off and we didn't have access to um, all the information that was kept secret. Anyway, well, TRW got bought by Northrop uh, Northrop Grumman. Yeah. So did you work? They acquired it in 2002. But uh, you remember yeah. when it was TRW, yeah. Northrop, Grumman, and my mother worked for Geospace, Aerospace Corp. And a lot of this has to do with uh, parts and, and also the developing efforts and system engineers and people developing. But TRW led our help with the Titan missile and for the Gemini missions, right? And then the company yeah. served with the Air Force engineers. Yeah. See, I worked for – I worked for for Grumman from 1980 to um, 1998. So I finally was wow, able to say this one company. Well, right at it, yep. That, that, that's the only reason I got any kind of retirement at all. <clears throat> so many of the people. That's wow. Once we finished the moon race, a lot of the the best scientists in the world that helped us get there, um, there weren't any jobs. There were there were PhD scientists walking, selling newspapers on the streets in Houston, and uh, we all had not. We I mean I was, or we would try to find a job in another com- company not involved in the space program because it was exciting. We were part of it. We got the job done. We got back safely. But then again, um, you know, if if you're getting laid off and having to go to another company, you lose your retirements and stuff. So it was not not a fun time to be out walking the streets looking for. Making enough income to feed the families, so that's why I left and I went to uh, to Seattle. Well, that's why I think so many of us, you know, we we excuse me, our heart. It was such a time like the Jetsons, you know. We had these high thoughts of the future and the way it should be, and it's like somebody messed with the timeline for the space shuttle and the International Space Station. We got behind like 50 years, but now some people blame it on the fact that we were in a war, you know, the Vietnam War, and Kennedy got, Kennedy that said we were going, then he got killed in 63, but we still made it in 67, 8, but you know, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong got most of the, I think, the the uh, credit, the glory. credit, but now you remember then who was it? Borman, Frank Borman. Now, who did Frank work for? Was that Grumman? He was the spokesperson. I you remember Frank Borman? I, I remember Frank Borman, yeah, but uh, I don't remember who he worked for. I oh. think he was Grumman space, uh, but anyway, he, NASA, he, uh, was, <clears throat> uh, you know, there was a NASA Langley. Uh, and there was uh, <laughs> things taken to Roswell, and Janet and I were talking about that in Hughes Space Corp. So we're going to do some research and uh, discuss all this because it goes back to uh, Roswell and before that Washington State and how we're bringing it all together with the Allied Command and the various people 
that have various uh, realities. And we've been talking about uh, the Allied Command bringing it together in the Space Force that's coming up in 2020 and going to Mars uh, as well. So we've got visiting space now as a reality, and a lot of people don't recognize or really study it. And they got tired of the NASA. It gets sort of boring. And we're going to try to figure out how, as civilians, especially because our heart was in the right place, and we were in NASA, we were at Houston, and I happened to work uh, actually across the street at the NASA Bay National Bank where I met various people, Alan Bean with the black – I was a gold Corvette with black bat wings. But anyway, they got Corvettes and <laughs> We talked about that with Gillette, right? The gentleman and they had, uh, you know, depending on their position with the command module, either a CDR, that would be the commander, the LMP would be the lunar module pilot, and um, the um, uh, Corvette company, they, they put those labels on the side of the, the, um, the fancy little sports cars um, <laughs> so that they, the commander he had his, it was uh, identified as the CDR and, LMP and the CMP. So those were back in the fun days. Well, we were. Go ahead. That was important. And the reason, you know, Janet, uh, we have NASA Ames now. We talk can, about research. Can you hear Center. me? Yep. Yeah. Can you hear now. me? Okay. Yeah. I was muted. Sorry. I want to ask about the timeline. So you evoked the timeline, and you said something very important. You said it seemed like we were on a different timeline. Other things were happening, and then next thing you know, you know, Kennedy's assassinated. And that's the piece of the puzzle that I have as an experiencer, ET contact the experiencer. Okay. Um, so let's look at timelines. Are, are the three of us time travelers? <laughs> um, and how do we know them? So when I was four, I was taken on board a mothership. I was shown 24 different timelines. The, the worst case scenario was the planet Earth blew up. And the best case scenario uh, we were in a total utopian society, but I chose one that was about third from utopia. We make there's a lot of background noise. Can somebody moving things around? Who's making That's noise? Good. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm making noise. It's me making noise. Stop making noise. Stop making noise. <laughs> anyway, so um, they are so They asked me like. which timeline do I want, and I said the third from the end. Um, because we want something left to do, right? And then I came back. Hold on, my nose is acting up. I came back to the Earth, and um, and that was 58. In 63, the Philadelphia experiment moved over to Montauk, and every 20 years when the biorhythms of the planet are in alignment, they, they fine-tune the timeline because they have an agenda that they want. So it's true, TJ. It was like our timeline got hijacked because... The one that I was on in '58 uh, was was very blissful. You know, we would have been much further along. We'd be in, in Star Trek. We'd be in a space-faring race where all of us would be experiencing, not just the secret space program. But they hijacked it, and next thing you know, and that was in, that was in '63, in, in August 10th, 1963, and then um, or August 12th, I'm sorry, 12th, and then by November, what was that, 22nd, 23rd, Kennedy was dead, and then we had everything else that happened, Bobby's dead, Martin Luther's dead, et cetera, et cetera. So it did hijack us into a different um, reality. But I think part of us, since we were all born 
uh, while that other reality was in place, we feel it like in a deep level, like this isn't right. I've heard other people say, I wasn't on that timeline. What happened to our timeline? Who hijacked our reality? So do you have any experiences that you might equate to that? And I'll go on and mute. You guys talk about that. That was my experience. So I'm sticking by it. Next person. Well, real quick trivia, Janet. Do you know that Star Trek, the original first episode, was filmed at the TRW in Redondo Beach, and they used that building? And uh, TRW, even with Star Trek, it's all – it. You know, it makes you wonder. You, you know what I mean? The company I and the knew synergy. That at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Redondo Beach, so California. The PRW was Thompson. And, and Thompson's my and, maiden name. And Tom Kins. Yeah, Tom that's Kins weird. So there's. And my dad is William Thompson, and that was William Tom Kins. So you look at these synchronicities and go, this is kind of weird. We will. But, you know, yeah, I'm saying, oh, that's coincidence. Yeah. Tom and Thomas, all my guides as men was Tom. Like uh, Thomas, I was married to Thomas R. Morris, and then Tommy Hogsblood came on to help us for the last seven years with radio and getting the Stargate going. And then uh, we got uh, Thomas uh, Becker for radio and a producer and uh, – I put his name up here today. I'll have to take it down, but uh, I guess he always said to remind him coming on. And then uh, Tom, uh, this is uh, the metaphysical spiritual part, I guess. We need to talk about, like you said, the timelines and how they get hijacked by people. If we don't have enough in the critical mass consciousness are recognizing the astronauts knew some funny things were going on, and that was my part coming and going uh, with NASA back in the day. And people may or may not remember seeing me there, how I got there, but I had my clearance levels, and they had me do an extra clearance level, and I always wondered about that. But we always had people like me coming and going, men in black, and I was very good trained to slip in and out from a very early age with the government and working with people out of Saudi Arabia coming over and meeting with the Bushers. And, uh, you know, I had to entertain ambassador. I was like an ambassador for the world in uh, Houston <laughs> between the oil sheiks and raising the, I remember them laughing about it going to $5 a gallon. And that's just a trivia, but uh, April 67, that's good year for getting Star Trek series, but that was Redondo Beach. But Ken and I were walking around on that timeline with all these people, and now in 2019, it's our job to be organized after all the Apollo lunar landings and uh, LMD, the descent engine with TRW, uh, you know, and now Armstrong's gone, Neil Armstrong, and Janet and I worked and I talked with him and uh, then we talked with Ray Hernandez that was working here in Florida where I live with him to get uh, after he started several great groups and now we're turning it all over at least our group. Uh, Ray Hernandez is, is now a paid speaker getting a minimum of 1500 I understand <laughs> but people make so much to speak on topics we don't that know Ray what people are we don't know what people <laughs> get that's the that's no. the price they say you know 
we offered uh, my price used to be five thousand minimum, and that was back in the eighties. So, yeah, just to show up and do an investigation. That was just to show up. They had to put five thousand down, so to speak. And you know, it was very expensive to travel in the eighties. I can't imagine, you know, showing up now. But uh, we're trying to do something as a nonprofit, to be honest with you. But it takes fundraising, and so that's what a lot of these radio shows do, including this one. But you know, if you want to help us, that's great. But this is a mission to get people. Uh, being aware that extraterrestrials are here, they always have been, alien civilizations exist, and uh, the timelines and evoking linear timelines is important to mention uh, that we're not really linear, but we think we are, and what is reality? And so our group uh, is coming under Alien Contact Organization, Ascension Center Organization, for teaching metaphysics. We have the ACE Metaphysical Institute. And we have a spiritual side and a scientific side. We have spiritual science. And we're beginning now to get organized because there's so many groups competitively in the UFO biz and uh, the alien biz. And they're not necessarily the same thing. So uh, what I'd like to talk about is time travel is important, folks. Learning time and space-time and extraterrestrials and those that have worked. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how this government uh, invoking timelines and how it swapped, like Janet has said. She wanted us to talk a little bit about the evoking the timelines with Allied Command Organization. And we're going to call Ken R. Johnston Sr., our Ralph Kennedy Johnston, the uh, fleet commander for all our groups now because we have so many in social media as a title to get us working together because just me alone, I've got like 30-some-odd websites or blogs, if you will, or domains or journals, and uh, they're not mistake-free, but we'd like to work towards you know fewer. And Janet and I have been bringing on people for seven, almost eight years. It'll be eight, eight years June 3rd, including Stanton T. Friedman, which I evoked earlier that's just passed. So this was a sad time uh, between uh, – People that have passed, my husband's passed, Stan's passed. Uh, Glenn Fodder still talks about Tom Morris finding ETs on a base. I think that was in Maryland, but I've heard him on YouTube. And uh, I don't know if Janet, are you are you familiar with George Filer at all, or as a speaker? Or I've never Newfine? interviewed George Filer. I think I've seen him at a conference. He's not one that they have all the time. Um, I haven't seen him on a circuit in a while, maybe the smaller conferences, but not the bigger conferences. But you're evoking his name. Do you know him personally, or have you? No, we used to talk on a regular basis years ago in the early 2000s, and uh, he knew that I was involved with Stanton, and he knew uh, my Marcel story, Jesse Marcel, going back in the 70s. And then uh, we had just beat Stan, but the men in black in the Navy had me go in at midnight. And so when I think of George Filer, all of a sudden I get wait, all this wait, spooky feeling. You went in where at midnight? Uh, you what? To Marcel's house. Je- oh, Jesse Marcel's house. Filer, so I'm sorry. Yeah, George Filer makes me think of, of the uh, spook business, the UFO spook okay, so nighttime midnight. Jesse Marcel's, you went into Jesse Marcel's house? house? With his knowledge or not knowledge? Yeah, he yeah, he, he did. 
No, no. Jesse Marcel, uh, uh, no, uh, the government made an appointment with him, but he was he didn't trust the government after working at Roswell and all this stuff. And uh, the story wasn't out yet when I met him. As uh, uh, That's when I wound up talking to his son and then his grandson, I think, in this reality. But so you were, I was, you were uh, going into his house and he, and at midnight? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, we met at midnight. No, That's what the story <laughs> Well, there's a lot that doesn't okay. make sense in my life, but I think that's okay. why you and Ken are here, is to help figure out how to put the reality that really is happening in all places of the world. And the only people that really know that are usually those that are in the spook business or in the defense industry or in the intelligence community on the planet, right? Besides the unless you're extraterrestrial. So or when you, have you met this, with him, what was that about? Can you tell us what that was about? Well, you went, you uh, went to his house at midnight for what reason? I guess I, I'm supposed to talk about it since I guess I brought it up. But in that weird like George Feiler George Feiler made me think of my past. Uh interesting, isn't uh-huh. it? Uh so we all have a past, and we all have a story to tell. And mine involves NASA 67 forward from the time in May 67 and then going back into the intelligence community later in 87, but I'd already gone through a second boot camp. And uh, all this all happened meeting German people, men in black, like a men in black movie, wearing black, and I guess uh, NASA and the government and Langley people and uh, even uh, getting your clearances. But to go back to the Jesse Marcel story, that's part of the Roswell story, or he's the one that really got the most attention that that Roswell story was evoked with me and Stan Friedman before uh, uh, the documents. But I'm I'm confused. What does this have to do with George Feiler? Because you were in. I Last don't know. You were in George Fowler's house at midnight with some spook deal. And not George Fowler's house. George Fowler makes me think of the spook business or the uh, Air Force. Um, <laughs> he was Air Force, and he saw a UFO. And he was part of MUFON, but he has the national UFO. Uh, you can look it up, Janet. National National. UFO Center, I think. And Ken, do you know George Feiler? He's an older gentleman that's been in the spook business or the UFO business, or both. <laughs> uh, no, I I don't think I ever came across him. Okay. Well, Janet, I guess we need to get in touch with George before he passes because he's not quite as old as Stan, but he's up there. But look at uh, National UFO Center, Janet. And uh, you'll find George Filer. It's called Filer's Files. But George made sure I didn't look. He wanted to, in the, now, like whenever I decided to do the UFO Association for real, or make it a who's who or a trade association for people, not to forget him or his uh, National UFO Center and uh, Stan. And I had uh, permission to evoke his name and not forget him or Stan because they wanted credit for the UFO Association when I decided to really take hold or have time to work it. But uh, 
since Stan's passed, Ken and now Bruce McAbee, Dr. Bruce McAbee. He's one of the old guys. So, Janet, what I'd like to do tonight is help us make a list. Janet, remember when you and I were going to do the uh, event for ACO, or at least uh, for Ascension Center, but we were going to have a who's who and the old guys, and even Stargate to the Cosmos, but we didn't get around to it yet. But we were going to do, like, uh, don't get offended, Ken, but, you know, (laughs) I'm talking (laughs) – but uh, he mentioned saying something. But we're both old, Ken, but these were really old guys. They're older than you or me. So what do you want to do, Ken and Janet? We need a who's who directory. And then, now, Janet, I don't know if you know this, but Ken is in the who's who in Texas, and I was too. So, Ken, I was in who's who, and so were you in in Texas yep. in some book. And my uncle Strom Thurmond was in one of those the, books. I want to get the Roswell story. Uh, yeah, we were on timelines and time travel. Next thing we were with George Filer, which we don't. I, and then we were in the, his house at midnight, but it wasn't his house. It was somebody else's. So I thought. <laughs> you want the story. All right, the midnight story. You. Okay, Jan. I, I asked the okay. question. Wait, I asked a question like, do you have any I'm time not. travel uh, timeline things? Because I did, and I gave an example. So uh-huh. it's your turn and Ken's turn. Okay, so stick to the subject. We're talking about. Do you have anything when you're aware that you were somehow shifting into a different timeline, or you try and do you have anything like that? Well, yeah. If you don't, don't make it up. If you do, well, '63 was Kennedy. I know where I was when Kennedy was shot because I was supposed to be in Dallas at Six Flags, and because the president was coming in and did all the traffic, my parents decided not to go. So I was in school in Miss Davis' seventh grade when Kennedy was shot. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that timeline starts for me. uh, That was a huge reality check because it came over the speaker about him being shot, and everybody in our room clapped like idiots because we didn't know what was going on. And this one boy, uh, Johnny Nichols, his family had the water company, Johnny and Tommy Nichols, another Tommy. But, uh, oh, we had to sit there for 30 minutes with the – Miss Davis, because we didn't even know, I didn't even know what they said. Everybody was clapping. I was looking around like an idiot. I just didn't know what was going on. But then after the big speech she gave us, it sunk in that it changed my reality. Some part of me grew up that that day at that time. Right. I guess for a lot of people in today's reality, it may be 2001, 9-11. They remember where they were. And my stepdad had just died then, and my timeline changed. So, in my reality, it seems that it, my own personal trauma will cause your timelines to shift in your own reality. But also, we have shared, like the mandala effect, it changes your timeline. It's like somebody changes it, and I think that's what you mean in regards to this. But with that, going at midnight, that's a spook time for when everybody's the best time to sleep, noon to three or noon to four. That's when your spook business happens a lot because we have less traffic on the roads less traffic most people generically are sleeping but uh right yeah that's important because uh stan i don't know we, we're gonna have to go back but janet i'd ask you to we'll, we'll research it i don't know where uh stan and i used to talk folks on on the phones for hours at a time and i'd have a 70 it was expensive 75 to 150 talking to canada so at&t knows because they were making the money but back in the day when uh, 
I got picked up in a van and taken by the Navy. Uh, I believe it was a blue van with – they used to have white vans and blue vans and black vans. But I was taken, and I to this day, Janet, uh, I would like to have answers, but I don't, folks, to a lot of things. I just go with the flow. But, Ken, you may need to know this because you were working at NASA, but back after I was working there – you know, across the street and meeting all these people. I was like a blonde Nordic type, uh, Janet, but I wasn't a blonde. I wore a brunette, but I wore wigs. So I don't get this, but it's like this intelligence agency will have you do certain things to look certain ways. And I know the men in black, if that's what we expect during uh, this time, the men in black would come in and show you're standing there in black suits with the glasses. Typical, and they some of them may work for Department of Energy, some for intelligence agencies. But uh, this night, uh, one or two men were there in a car, like the Men in Black on X Filers, and uh, our X Files, right? The smoking man that uh, Rick in, invoked. Rick knows him personally, Dr. Rick Miller. But uh, Janet, we need to put the timelines together and wormholes and time travel and space and show how we can do this and i would suggest we do it uh parallel linear length and width in engineering term and get ken to help us set it up structurally because when we swap timelines what happens is a piece of us will go where we were in that reality and we may you can have two observers or even 10 million observers, and it depends who is doing the investigation, but we're all observers if our physical, if we've got our eyes open, our, our ears open. So we're all here on different timelines at all times. It's very hard to be in the now, but right now we're using radio waves, and so we'll be here, and we can go back and listen, go back in time and listen to us, which I usually will try to do, and hear what we created today with Ken R. Johnston, which is going to be fleet commander. And to, he's 524. But, Janet, that well, house uh, in my mind. Back. Yeah, as soon as you're yeah, done that, I'll go over the house. Ken. Ken, yeah. Ken, why don't you talk, and then we can go back to that story. It's the Marcel story, but I don't even know if Ken knows that. But, Ken, you want to talk about where you were or timeline that swapped for you. I can tell you about the house after that. <laughs> well, um, the best part would be um, in figuring out if, if uh, for other people, let me get other people that maybe have dreams and they, they are sometimes are thinking back, well, you know, I think I was at such and such a place at a certain time, but I, I don't know if I was there. And there are times whenever I, I'll find, I'll go to a building, never been there before, but then I know right where the doors are and exactly where I was going, et cetera. And that kind of makes you stop and wait, wait a minute. Now, uh, how could I know that if, if I've never been there before? And, and one of the biggest problems that we run into when we have been um, pulled out of our timeline and being used in another area, or for instance, like when I was on Mars, um, and I would come back, we'd get what we'd call a memory wipe. And uh, they would literally go in and, and, uh, uh, obliterate that period of time in your your memory, and then you have to try to. In my case, uh, the only way I 
I would try to figure out exactly where was I and what took place when that was going on. And while you were just talking a lot about uh, your experiences there at the Johnson Space Center and the people you're with, that was sort of triggering some some of my memories. And in um, in my particular case, Ed, I told a little bit earlier when we first started about when I was a little kid, as I grew up, there are gaps at points and times in this timeline of my life where I don't remember how I got there and what took place. See, that's another problem. You know, when they when they start messing with your memory and stuff, then they can start saying, oh, we've got to put this person in a nut, nut house or something. But in reality, um, no, it's because we were being used in an in a adjacent or a parallel timeline. And uh, that's that's what you have to work your way through. And that's the only way I know to do that is through meditation. This is what a lot of the the uh, uh, from India, they it's why they do a lot of meditation and they are able to get into their their own timelines and their own memories. In our case, um, it's where we have to work with someone like uh, Dr. Sasha Lesson and get hypnotic regression and go back and the, the information is in our in our heads and in our minds and our memories. It's just that we don't have the links to be able to pull it out. Now, um, I think you were you were just telling me some of the events and places where you were, and um, wow, um, I'm going over in my head times where I was be gone for uh, a week or two. That, this is something else where I run into someone someone else who has an experience that has been on Mars or on the moon or what have you, and they're talking about the things that happened to them. Uh, it triggers a thought of well, son of a gun, I was there at the same time. Well, you were just talking about uh, some of the people that uh, you had direct contact with, and you talked about some of the men in black, and then Janet just talking about her experiences there. There, but then you you know you've got your um, uh, psychologist. What do you call these psychologists? They they say, oh well, you're only recreating a a memory which isn't yours. You're borrowing it from someone else. Well, some of that may be true, and then. Uh, there could well be how we have been manipulated and used in different timelines and time zones. So, as far as I'm concerned, I think I'm, I'm, I've got in the right timeline because that's where I found my wife from Canada and uh, me from Texas. So we meet in Washington, uh, but yet we're now discovering that uh, that's something that she doesn't want to get into very far. She she um, actually is a very gifted, talented person, even in tarot readings and stuff, and uh, she pretty much wants to leave that. To me to worry about just so long as it doesn't affect our relationship so that's it's pro and con uh there's so much going on that it's kind of hard to wrap around and understand it all that's why we have specialists like janet and, and sasha and, and you and, uh, myself um I've, I've been the guy that's usually been in the cockpit and then the uh the technical person and testing the systems and flying but uh, now uh, i'm going to try to keep the group together and stay focused. And I think if, if we can get our, um, our allied command group all to kind of work together, then we will have a lot more. And I'll, I'll use the word power because look at it this way. If we're going to have full disclosure, and if it comes to September 22nd real soon, we need to be, that will happen because if you have enough people focused on the events that we expect or that we know are going to take place, the quicker it will come into reality, if if my understanding, I'm sure Janet can jump in on this one, is that if we have enough people creating enough energy in that timeline, it can become the primary 
event that we're involved in. Is that about right, Janet? Yeah, when two or more are gathered in my name. So we put the group energy, we focus on, you know, a certain outcome perspective, we can co-create it together. And that's why uh, often after a lot of these group efforts, they want to, you know, separate us. You know, if you're working on, I remember Clifford Stone, he was working on the retrieval and where the retrieval efforts were down craft, and so he had this book that he would go and repair extraterrestrials. He knew he was an extraterrestrial medic, right? He knew how to treat like 60 different species. But after he started his two, three, four, five years, whatever it was, in the military doing that, they dispersed everybody around the world so they wouldn't be able to connect the dots and remember, you know, so they lost right. the power. If they would have remained in a group, we would be on a different timeline because they would have come forward and said, hey, we all worked on this. So. Um, that's part of the intention, um, the intention of our cult, the Illuminati, or whatever, you know. So we need to overcome that by unifying our thoughts and getting our timeline, get our story straight, and it really is beneficial to, um, you know, get a competent hypnotherapist. It can't all be Dr. Lessing because he's only one person, but there's a lot of competent hypnotherapists out there, and you get your recording equipment, and you allow yourself to be regressed and you get your timeline, your story, you know, and go back to the beginning. And every time you have a, what I call a screen memory, like you might remember something uh, that'll trigger you. And, uh, you know, it's often that, that feeling of deja vu. And it's like, hmm, I know there's more to that story. I'm just getting this tip of the tongue memory, but there's actually more. So if you allow yourself to get regressed, that's what I do all the time. I'll say to my, I married my hypnotherapist. I say, honey, I don't. I want to go into that more. I know there's more to that story, and so we do. A, a, you know, sometimes we only have time for a mini session, a half an hour or something. But we go in and retrieve those pieces of memory, those lost pieces of my soul, which helps me get the comprehensive picture. And so that's part of the vision on these conferences and workshops and symposiums and um, everything that we plan on doing is to help everybody get this uh, picture because I think the experiencers are actually disclosure, but for some reason the people that are at the top and they they run all these large conferences or these large movements want that to be the disclosure movement, but I think it's more complicated than that. The disclosure is uh, going to take all of us, you know, waking up and, yeah. Right. Right now I think it would be an... Uh, would be an excellent time right now to the, our listeners that are listening in is that you can you can hear us talking about events and how we've had to rediscover things that have taken place that we've been part of either uh, during this timeline which we can't remember what took place or even in another timeline. It now's the time that you need to come forward and it's getting let's say it's, it's safe to come forward and not be treated like you're an absolute um, well there's a lot of good words idiots. <laughs> uh, Crazy, <laughs> insane, um, you know, send them to a nut house, whatever you want to use terminology. Uh, people are afraid they don't want to get labeled with that. They come in and talk about some of the exciting and major events that they've been a part of. Now is an excellent time that you can come forward and work with. You can contact any one of us uh, through the Internet and then go from there. That's, that's I've discovered uh, quite a few people that have come forward off of my, my Facebook page as well as um, – these conversations, we're not we're not hard to find if you go into the internet. Those of us have been willing to stick our necks out because 
we know the advantage of putting out the truth and the information there is our protection. And the same thing would go with any other. So if anyone listening, if you've got something to add to this, or even if you've run into us in, in some of your other timelines, please get back with us because it may be some parts that we're trying our best to, to recover and take it up. So uh, that's that's my biggest um, point I want to put out this evening is don't think that you can hide it because uh, those that are were in charge know who you are and know where you are. So the, your safest thing is don't take it to your grave. Bring it out. Get it public. And that way we can advance as a as a species in this particular timeline in the universe. So I'm I'm happy and proud that I'm working with people like you too and the others that that are involved in getting the truth out. And uh, full disclosure is is my it's interesting, uh, Janet. I started using the term full disclosure several years ago. Now all of a sudden uh-huh. uh, other people have picked it up and they're they're using the same terminology. The same thing we have coming up with my September twenty second. Uh, uh, David uh, Wilcock is is using that term, that date and time, and George Cor- I mean George Cor- Corey Good, and two of the others. And they're on, I don't know whether they. Yeah. W- <laughs> no. Well. <laughs> there you go. That'll work. They, what do they think's going to happen? What are they referring to that date? Because do they think everybody's just going to wake up like the uh, uh, twenty? What was it, 2012? No, 
have the ability to affect each other as either a particle or a wave when we're both. But when they come together, like in the split theory, in the quantum entanglement, there's the law of probability of the universe takes over. So there's various levels of all of us, but we teach the various levels, and just like we use mathematics, chemistry, biology, and all of that, we separate. But in the beginning, there was something, and we call the something nothing, or the nothing came from something. But something and nothing becomes zeros because we can't get past an eternal device or the spirit of law of consciousness because we think we're all equal. But are we? So we have to ascertain our own reality. So we're using special ways to communicate, just like these radio waves. There's microwaves and other waves. But the fact is we're growing an individual. And each individual, depending on what part of the universe they're in, and this is what we're discovering now is people like us want to play the game of life, and we want to have a place in a, uh, of our own. So we evoke these physical realities, these bodies, these vehicles. So the Allied Command is going to be offering the various levels and dimensions and realities. And some of them right now in the Ascension Age, which I evoked because of my higher self, and my higher guide, and my higher extraterrestrial essence, and the highest soul level, and everybody has a name for it. But we're all learning right now. And you know, being a coach, healer, metaphysician, avatar master, somebody that's died and came back, and died and came back, and died and came up, it gets old. You know, whether I'm an Egyptian, an Indian, or uh, Tara running around in a spacecraft over China and Japan. You know, I've got all these roles I've played. And, I and you're getting muffled a, a bit. Okay. I wrote a song Thank you. and put some of my past lives out. But, you know, we're all trying to do what we can do as individuals. But everybody wakes up and has their own disclosure, depending on when they wake up and realize that there's more to life besides seven levels of consciousness. And now we're saying ten. And some people say we have as many levels as 13, like Michio Kaku says there's at least 11 dimensions. So it depends on the individual as to how awake they are and how they ascribe uh, their reality. Some only use math, some use religion, some use philosophy, some use uh, husband or wife, some say they're both male and female. So it's all about what we're going to communicate in cyberspace. But allowing ourselves to be different right now, we all think we're one and the same. We're all the all-encompassing force, meaning when we're together. When me and, me and Ken and Janet come together right now, you can hear all three of us when we take turns. But if all three of us try to talk to, at the same time, we don't get anything accomplished because it comes across garbled. But if you have each person playing a separate instrument, like on stage and you become proficient with competition and repetition over and over, like uh, if uh, Ken's playing the drums and Janet's playing the guitar and I'm playing a trumpet, you know, but we've learned and we can all play them separately. You bring them together and form, you know, something with the fourth person would have a quartet. So we're learning how to do the music as individuals. And I'm not sure about the whole entire universe. But it, the disclosure is strictly for oneself. Ed 
we talk about the overall, but we all know that we are everything, the particles and waves, the microcosm. But we're also the macrocosm, meaning all God in all of us. That's why we say namaste, the God in me honors the God in you, or that which is holy and divine and infinite in you. Uh, I honor that, and hopefully you honor it in me. So we're just trying to define how to communicate globally. The Allied Command officers, which right now people may not like, but we're getting more yeses than we're getting noes, folks, is we're doing our best to market and promote that alien civilizations exist. And uh, the Allied communication is, is like it's formed out of the source knowing itself. And we're duplicating our efforts by saying we're recognizing each of us and how we fold back with our own observation. We each have an observer. So uh, it's like timelines. You can swap your timelines depending on where you're at in a perception and an observation, but you've still got to have a point of origin. And so I use it uh, in universe. I'm outside M31 Andromeda Galaxy. And in this story that Janet, me, and, and Ken are creating, uh, each person has to show up on their on this level in physical form on the planet. Otherwise, we'd just be out there floating around being part of the all I am, I guess. So, um, TJ, you were going to share about the, the story about you were in the house at midnight. <laughs> just to remind you. And that's you in that. this reality. Yeah, yeah, in this reality. Me, yeah. So, but I, but I wanted to just maybe clarify that. Um, what I've encountered and discovered is that I'm a multidimensional being simultaneously having existences on many levels and many vibratory frequencies, planets, and dimensions, as are we all. You know, we're all doing this. And there's a certain point in our evolution that we wake up and become aware that, you know, our dreams are just as real as our waking states. And, and our daydreams are sometimes even more powerful. So to invalidate those experiences is to invalidate a part of your life. When you go, it's just a dream, it's like, no, it's a dream. <laughs> it's very important <laughs> information. <laughs> and where are you making it? I'm making it up. Where are you making it up from? Because everything exists. Nothing has been created or destroyed. It exists. So you're pulling it in. It's like the law of attraction and action. You're pulling in uh, information that's relevant to this here and now, to this current incarnation, and that's why it's bubbling to the top and, the, and you're aware of it. So um, so you've had these experiences, which there's a part of you that judges and says, oh, my God, it's not part of this reality, but I think that's happening to more and more of us, and we're going, well, that's just as real as this 3D <laughs> Earth level. It's just Exactly. Yes. Well, some parts of the intelligence, some parts of the intelligence community know this. You know, the people at Naval Air Station in Norfolk they know exactly what we're talking about in the intelligence community because they have a group that works with, you know, Captain McDon McDaniel at Norfolk you know, Naval Air Station. Maybe they mm -hmm. understand more because they're indoctrinated in a program. Uh, I was indoctrinated by dying and coming back and dying and coming back and then finding out I wanted to go visit people in uh, White Sands, New Mexico, or uncles that worked at NASA, or 
I was indoctrinated by what I learned in this reality. But uh, I was also part of the Intergovernment Relations Advisory uh, Board, but at a very early age. It was independent, bipartisan, and intergovernment agency at NASA in 67. So it's since disbanded, but uh, the president, Reagan, chose one person, and uh, so did Bush. That's, I think, why I met them. And one person is an observer for all that we created with the federal government. It's like working with the State Department or the intelligence. Uh, I got to be that body, that human in this role. And uh, I think that's why they trained me and put so much money into my training. I'm, I'm what's called uh, cross-trained as a seer mariner, meaning by land, by sea, by air, and uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. And now we're going to have the Space Force working together. And it's our job to uh, understand what that's going to mean in this reality because we're going to space, and we always have been. Uh, just because people aren't aware of it, like the uh, X-37B spacecraft, right, that was up there. It was classified. Nobody knew it was out there flying till after it came down. And then they gave the uh, team Vandenberg, put it together, and you know gave it out to a few reporters. But nobody knew that that was going on because it was classified. And usually the reason is uh, because we're separated like we are as an individual-based human, uh, humanoid sentient intelligent being. In our governments on the planet after World War II, especially, we decided to keep things a little secret <laughs> because we didn't want any more Hitlers, basically. And uh, we learned a good lesson, folks, and we're still learning. But uh, what well, part that do you would want be to know, interesting Janet? thing if we if we did study, and and I don't know that this group, but three of us, can figure this out. But what causes a Hitler? It seems like periodically we get a Genghis Khan, we get a Hitler, we get a Napoleon, we get someone who um, thinks they're above the law and you know, go outside of the matrix and conquer the world. And, you know, if you think of Genghis Khan, he conquered the world. There's over a million people that are descended from him. He, he not only conquered the world, but he raped and produced children. So what makes somebody think that they're so important, so special, that they rise to the top and they can take over. And then what makes people support these megalomaniac things? And I think that's what this um, this uh, uh, movie I'm watching, this series, is is talking about, because that was the rise of Hitler and, uh, and how it connected with the space program. And I'll, I'll finish it, but, you know, it's part two, and I didn't read the book. But we need to uh, deconstruct this and analyze this and figure out why does the why do these things happen in our world where we really should be? And I'll use a should be further along. We should be in space. We should be in a Star Trekian reality. You know, we should be uh, trading, uh, you know, in space stations with extraterrestrials like they do in Deep Space Nine. But, but we, we are. We, we are. are. The, uh, the public program is we're just a bunch of slaves, economic slaves. There's 100,000 or 10,000 people living under bridges in Los Angeles, and our America's <laughs> turning into a third world country. I mean, take it, don't, don't, use, don't look at the visuals of Los Angeles. There's 10 cities, and we used to complain 10, 15 years ago about other countries. Look at that, they have 10 cities. Well, that's what we have in America. America's turned into a slum. And so back to you, Ken. I know you have some comments on it. <laughs> yeah, let me, <laughs> let me jump in four here. We've people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me jump in. I want to throw a. 
ahead. Yeah, it's not a monkey wrench. I want to throw something in the Stoney thing here. Some of us, you know, um, I'll, I'll give you my example, and uh, hopefully you two can jump in, or some other people can come in if we have questions and answers. Um, of, of the three of us that were born to my family, the other two boys were more olive-type skin and black hair and uh, light little waves and things. And then whenever I come along, I'm, uh, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, hazel blue eyes, and a little different. Now, uh, there's an event that took place when I was only three years old, um, and I was had uh, tonsillitis, and um, there was, you know, back in those days, they used chloroform as an anesthetic instead of, um, of, um, of what they use in operations nowadays. At any rate, they did that on me. The doctor finished. Uh, oh, I sorry. I was born with a cyst over my left eye. And at the age of three, they decided it was time to get to remove that little cyst. Well, in the operation, uh, my heart stopped beating. I stopped breathing. I turned blue. Uh, the doctor that was that performed the operation, I was told he just shoved all of the operating uh, tools and things and trays in the floor, grabbed in, started giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which he had just learned about two weeks before that event. And uh, they used to call what they call a pull machine because whenever you you absolutely go zonk, your tongue sometimes falls back in your throat like you almost swallow your own tongue. Anyway, by the time they got the pool machine in there, I was sitting up crying as a little baby, you know, three years old. When I was five, um, was going in for um, an, another operation with the same doctor. He said, I came the closest to staying dead with him than anybody he had ever had. Now, well, the point I'm making is that um, the experiences that I've had and that I'm talking, that period of time while my heart wasn't beating and I was stopped is a time of what I call a walk-in. And there have been things that have happened in, in my life that I've recovered that nobody in the whole families can even begin to think, well, how could you guys have done that? You weren't even born or along those lines. So if there's anybody in the audience that themselves have found that they were a what I call a walk-in, and uh, I'm beginning to think that who I am today uh, has have been used or manipulated so that I would be at this right place at the right time to, to help bring uh, full disclosure to the whole populations of what we're doing. So um, I am who I am, um, although try this on for size. <laughs> now, here I am, um, um, 77, and I probably have, I uh, don't know exactly what, 20-some-odd great-grandchildren. and They just add up real fast when you have um, – very um, uh, well, busy grandchildren and great grandchildren. I will put it that way, and uh, love every one of them. That's terrific. But in my case, um, coming forward and becoming um, uh, making it available and looking back at past lives. Um, oh, the lot of point I was going to make <clears throat> when I was was born, uh, getting ready to be born. My um, my mother has had two boys. And they had done the pendulum trip where someone with um, psychic would hold a pendulum above her abdomen and watch it. If it would go in a circle, it was going to be a little girl. If it was going back and forth, it would be a little boy. And so mother had tested that and I uh, was definitely going to be her little girl that she wanted to have. And um, whenever I was born, the, the doctor says, oh, my gosh, he's not a girl, he's a boy. So for about nine months or less, a little less than that, I was, my name was Patty Lou. Would you believe that? And um, I'm a long ways away from being Patty Lou, although I, I use that as a joke sometimes. 
And uh, this is the part where you have the walk-in. Perhaps Patty Lou was the name of the, the entity that hadn't quite finished all the training and learning that they wanted to do by following this timeline, and they chose to step in whenever I had passed for those few moments and sections. Um, interesting. Other people I've talked to, some of them have had similar experiences, and it doesn't have to have happened in this, this lifetime that we're counting now, the past 100 years or what have you but could have been or even on another planet, what have you. So that's where my background comes out. Look out, Patty Lou may have been involved with a program that you had in another time. How's that, Greg? You didn't know that, did you, you guys? I didn't and know don't you call Patty me Lou. Patty Lou. Don't call me Patty Lou, okay? <laughs> well, you know, we've had a lot of clients where, the, you know, the, the parents were disappointed because you weren't born the sex that they were imagining and uh, – yeah, we're not going to go into that here, but that sometimes really adversity affects someone because uh, they, they come in with a deficit because they disappointed their parents by not being the proper sex. So it's really their, it's really your parents' crap, right? And they shouldn't be imposing that on the child, but nonetheless it gets imposed on the child sometimes. So I feel sorry for you. I don't know what sex they wanted me to be because they had one of each, so I guess they were okay. But that usually happens when they have you know, two the same sex, they usually want the opposite sex. And so you get strapped yeah. with that responsibility well, next, that you are who you are. Yeah. The next time Sasha does a regression on him, you'll have to have him check out and find out just exactly who Patty Lou was and, and what <clears throat> what timeline in, in ancient history or current that Patty Lou did exist in. And then uh, we can put that in one of my books too. Oh, wouldn't that make a great yeah. story? Our our, uh, well, I, our fleet fleet commander was Patty Lou. How's that grab you? Patty Lou. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> now, from my okay. perspective, they all simultaneously exist because we simultaneously have one. So this is a sub-personality of yours thing. She never left you. She's there. She's in there. She's a sub-personality. Um, but we all have an in, our inner masculine and feminine. And, uh, you know, we allow it to come. The, the inner feminine usually doesn't come forth unless she feels really safe, you know. <laughs> so anyway, it's very psychology is very uh, complicated. It's very interesting field, but I won't go into okay. that now because that's not what this show is about. But um, yeah, are they walk-ins or are they sub-personalities or is there a difference? And um, you know, the Life Between Lives Institute, um, my, Dr. Michael Newton Institute says that you know sometimes um, the fractals of the of the group soul, the over soul can be in many bodies, even on the earth simultaneously. So you could theoretically meet yourself, make love with yourself. Um, can we have simultaneous <laughs> souls in one body? It's interesting. God, now I am soul, confused. I, now you're <laughs> confused. Anyway. Now I am. No. Anyway, I'm going to meet myself. Energy. And, Push, and do what, what am I going to do to myself? I'm going to get a lot of, get a lot of contacts. You. From this session we're having with everybody, if they contact me, <laughs> sends an email to me, and they want to talk to Patty Lou, I'm going to be on a tough road to hoe. Tough <laughs> oh, well, road to hoe. That's okay. I, just, by the way, I've never told that. That's never been told public well, before, and it was just—it seemed to be before. relevant to the conversation. So, 
Go well, ahead. we've got to know who, who the people are that are going to be running this. And, you know, we've got the civilian and the military. But, Janet, just so you know, people have been coming and going for billions of years. And now science, including Graham Hancock's written a book about that, the old way and why now archaeology would, you know, if anybody brought up the fact that we're just returning here to amuse ourselves. It was uh, that's part of our portal to the Stargate series, folks, of wormhole travel, because we're just now getting into wormhole travel. And Sonny, uh, what was his name, Ken? I asked you if you looked at him, Harold. Was his name Harold? Uh, um, gosh, I sent you an article. I put it in uh, oh, Eric. That's the one I ha- that's the one I haven't read yet. I just finished the other one, but I'll get to it. Oh, I'm I- sorry. Okay, well, all right. Well, anyway, we are getting into warp drive with Janet and Star Trek. There's a psychological aspect of all that we do on the planet, and uh, what's declassified is is the Ministry of Defense. But uh, they're proving that medically that, well, at least Russia, I don't know about America, but uh, that, that the magnetic fields created by plasma during a thunderstorm can produce uh, hallucinations, so to speak. So the close proximity of plasma-related fields and even a, a, can uh, happen. So we're looking at all that happens when you you become uh, synchronized into all your why, realities, why do, all your... Why, do, why, do, why does that create hallucination? Do you have a scientific explanation as to why exposure to a plasma field can create hallucination? They're, uh, well, we're looking at that. That's part of this new space program because psychologically we have to, just like uh, Ken's been through all those tests and then you know come to find out motion sickness or flying around, there's matter and antimatter. And the cooling of, we're looking at gravity and how to get off without the fuel, the, you know, the type <laughs> so archaic. We know we've come and gone from this planet over and over again and in, in, in other places in space and Mars and we're, you know, if they're underground, fine. We're going to go back and visit there in 2020. So, you know, tonight we're all about getting organized, knowing who we are as individuals, but there is a psychological warfare going on, universally speaking. And so those that still like to play, I'm, uh, let's just think of it like if we're going back in Star Wars, there's Star Trekkers and there's Star Warriors. And we have some of those groups in social media. Some still want to fight and think they're out there. And others aren't. And so I work with a group that feels like they're highly civilized and don't need emotions or ways to impact consciousness. But they realize that they couldn't, without the emotions uh, affecting the nervous system with the mind, they observed over thousands of years it worked, or millions maybe, millions of years. I don't know if it's billions, billions, or trillions because who's counting space and time, right? Because time is linear on this planet anyway, even though we're going in a circle. But as we go around uh, on the planet, we're rebuilding ourselves constantly, and we know that. So the more we know, the more we realize we're not just matter and antimatter. So plasmas is a big fourth force or constant in the universe. And so the sun revolves around all this in the solar system that goes out. And uh, we're working with the galaxies, and I work universally, a part of me anyway, and everybody has a space travel story, a time travel, because you're born, you live, and you die. And so you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, according to your reality, at least here. So we have a new enlightenment program, and that enlightenment program we call, in some circles, 
the ascension age was 1221-12, but it's 11-11, uh, allegedly, for immortal souls and the ascension master beings. So we have our master race of supreme beings, and uh, we still call this the miracle of life here. But in space travel, on the, the game we're playing is we're starting a new space force on the planet, at least for America. So we'll still have land, sea, and air, or joint sea or mariner, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard 5. But we're going to have people, and it's going to take a little bit from each group, but we need to. The reason is, folks, that we have people here on, at least those that, that in the know, You've seen planes, trains, and automobiles, but you know that it only goes so much to a level of space like Ken or me or you go up in an airplane, that's about it, okay? But then we have those leaving the atmosphere, going around the moon and Mars, things like that. So we're working on that conscious information getting out to everybody that travels. And those in space that already do it, most of them do it with consciousness. And they do it uh, what's faster than the speed of life your thought, your consciousness. So they're going to prove this outcome, and they're using it right now at a level of philosophy and physics joined together. So I don't know what we want to call that, but you may want to think about it because uh, it's important. We have constant feedback loop, and we reshape ourselves every day in our future. And uh, some people call it a Taurus. Well, the universe has a Taurus, just like the planet. And so we're working on all these together now. And understanding the critical mass mind is more. So a lot of people are saying what we as psychics used to call metaphysically the Akashic field, the A field for Urban Laszlo, the theory of everything, my big toe with Tom Campbell. And then we have you know Neil deGrasse Tyson and Michio Kaku trying to explain theoretical uh, physicists how the world is revolving and evolving. And all of us in it. And it's all speculation. Nobody can prove anything. Theoretically, it's uh, by measurement what our peers can repeat over and over again. And we try to call that basically, generically speaking, science. (laughs) But we're going into spirit science, the universal life ministries that we've had forever. So there's beings up there. And this Allied Command has uh, five ways of, of separating our universal levels of needs. And uh, we'll get into that, and we're going to educate people and based on uh, the Ascension Age and where we're at, universally speaking. So we're colonizing and terraforming all over the universe and other universes. But uh, how we're going to talk, wormhole time travel, that's going to be the new thing. So if, you're, if you haven't gone through a wormhole, you should in your mind. Or how would uh, Janet – your book, Portal to Stargate, you're writing one about your own reality. Ken's writing one or finishing after his book called Ken's Moon is his, basically his autobiography. And Janet, you're writing one and I'm writing one. But it, rather than your own story, we, got, we have to put one together and make it our own. And that's what gets to be fun. What part are you playing in another human's life? They call it in the metaphysical community uh, that everybody has to be a, a giver. So they've divided it up among radio show hosts and in the woo-woo community as servants of self or servants to others. And you actually have to have both now. You can't hardly survive if you can't feed, clothe, and shelter. You wind up like Janet was talking about all those people 
with out there that don't have normal food, clothing, and shelter, just the basics. And why? Why does that happen? So we've always looked at that, and we've always come back and done it over and over and over again. So this new space agency, the Space Force, is what I'd like to see us at least take part in. Ken, we've had a a low-level grassroots experience, and most of the people we work with are grassroots experiencers. Wouldn't you say, Ken? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, the experiences that that I've had have had a great deal playing into the, the person that I have grown into only on 77 years and a few more to go. So um, I, I was just thinking about, uh, as you were talking about how we have to plan that um, this is our, our training field. The earth is being used as, as an, in my understanding, an experiment on giving us all the opportunity to go and work on a lot of the bugs out of the entity that we are. And um, uh, like I say, some of those, let's say Adolf Hitler and a few of those may have to, repeat multiple times till they can work the bugs out of that system and or Napoleon, you name it. So uh, that, if you look at it from the standpoint of theology, if you relax your, your thinking a little bit, instead of uh, uh, instantly going into the, uh, I, I won't listen to this garbage. I don't want to hear what, and you're going to find out that you're, you're getting the same truth, the same information just presented in a different way. That's, that's part of what I'm enjoying is, the fact of hopefully improving on um, whatever it was I was before, and um, I'm I'm comfortable with that. Is that okay? I think it's great. I like that. How about you? It's great, Janet. Good vibes or bad vibes? Oh, I always, <laughs> if I find myself having negative thoughts or emotions or judgments or criticisms that I uh, shift, I, I have a visualization, shift lane, uh, change the channel, focus on, take it, take it, that's what you just said, and uh, pull it down through your heart chakra and say it again through your heart chakra, and keep on the positive vibes, because we're choosers. We can choose to go through life angry, mad, you know, disappointed, judgmental, projecting our shit on other people. Uh, operating from our wounds. <laughs> I see a lot of people, they go through life, and they're like the walking wounded inner child, and they've never taken responsibility and gone and done the therapy and and gotten over it. So they, they continue to project their, say, pooping on people or vomiting on people <laughs> your entire life. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I have to say what, what hundreds of thousands of people to go through yep. the process so they own it. They own it and take baths. And, and reprogram that so they can go through life more consciously and kind and loving. And it's even more critical now because the world's so crazy to take to own your own shit, own your own stuff, and do your work. And so I always congratulate people and say, "Congratulations, yep. you've done your work." And uh, and and it's a lifelong process. It's not like you're going to do it once. It, you have to always keep. Uh, you know, it's like you're driving down a road, and if you don't keep on course, you're going to start steering one way or the other. So you got to keep adjusting. Or like on the ocean, you have to keep adjusting your course or you're going to, you know, go way off course. So um, that's kind of my final words. I'm going to have to go here. Uh, We have ten or nine minutes, so I might um, 
bug out here just a few minutes early because something came up. But I want to thank everybody for having me on today and uh, a great show and a much love to you, Ken and TJ and thank you. Uh, to the audience and um, uh, aloha, thanks blessings. So I'm gonna I have to, uh, something happens here and I gotta go. Much love and blessings, everybody. Okay, hey. aloha. Take care. Aloha. Thank you, Janet. Uh, thank you for helping yeah. us. And TJ, okay, I, she's I, got I, I want to yeah, I want to pick up on I want to pick up on something what you were talking about having to do with communications, the speed of light, and what have you. One of the things that um, science is starting to, or metaphysical science is starting to accept the fact that thought, thought and communications of thought travels at a speed faster than the speed of light, and that's something that uh, our our science. Science are people just starting to dig into and starting to understand that it, it's not just all pure mathematics. You have to get into the metaphysical side of things, and that's awfully hard to do for some of us old scientists and engineers. If it's not nut and bolts and stuff that we can 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 see and and um, um, telescopes or what have you or you name it, then it doesn't exist until we can understand what it is, and so. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable with contacts that I've had in my meditation stage, and it's going to be very interesting. Um, I'm personally – oh, I, I was talking at the very beginning of how we're going to deal with uh, full disclosure. It's not going to be like uh, the day the earth stood still and then contacting the governments and the heads of the – it's been happening right now by the contact that people individually have been receiving direct contacts and understanding so that, you know, we're all, nowadays if you ask somebody, well, do you believe that uh, aliens exist? I said, well, yeah, sure. I mean, 90, was it 97.9% of the people already agree that we're not, we're not alone in the universe. That uh, It's got to be there. So we are at a point where communications is going to be something that will make the difference in our existence on this planet as well as uh, those that we're in contact with in other universes. Through mentally con- mental contact, I think it's, there's a lot to look forward to, and I'm excited about it. And I appreciate the opportunity to work with others. And if I can be of some service, I guess I'm your guy. That's fair. Well, are you willing to do that? As pulling us all together, there's the study of the parts plus the wholeness. It's not like you know just your physical and the like. Doctors take apart or trying to figure out the physical without the spiritual or with what's inside. You know, we're all thoughts and we're all things, but we're all in a field of matter and antimatter and plasma, believe it or not, which affects all of us. But quantum physics is studying waves and particles and atoms and breaking down three parts in an atom. And, uh, you know, we've got quarks now, gluons, muons. (laughs) So we're always breaking it down to the smallest micro and taking it as large as the largest macro, so whatever you want to call that. And some people theologically, or maybe even in their religions, will call everything God, if you want to go that. And other people may call it the all or the force or the source. But basically, you know, there's vibes, energy, waves. And we're learning how to uh, use protons, positive and neutrons, negative and put them together, and they'll cancel out a phase 
uh, in an atom. But we're learning how to do all this, folks. We're just learning how to communicate that. So if you'd like to play with us, please get in contact with us. Uh, Mars One Astronaut, spell out one, is Ken Johnston at Gmail. We use Google. It's the thing in cyberspace. It's uh, what we know, and uh, we support Microsoft, Facebook, social media, Twitter, and Google. Facebook, what they say, FaceTime. <laughs> uh, but you basically, might add in there. everyone's. Yeah, hey, you well, you always think you go to Facebook. Uh-huh. Yeah, if go they ahead. go to Mars One, if they go to Mars One astronaut, they got to spell out the word one. So it's M A R S O N E astronaut at gmail dot com. Okay, and I'll do my best to answer. And you do answer your that. emails. Oh, I I do yeah, my very that. best at that. Okay. So uh, ACO use the acronym if uh, you write and tell them you heard the story. Mm-hmm. Allied Command Fleet Commander. Ken R. Johnston Sr. with Janet and TJ Time Travel. And that's the name of the show today. And we'll start having a number of them because we have them in a series now around the world. And other countries are listening to us. We really appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, especially 804. That's area code 804. (laughs) Staying with us. I guess yeah. that's uh, Hugh. I don't know if that's Hugh or not. He's been with us, gosh, for many years. Hugh, I can't think of your last name, Hugh. It starts with a T. <laughs> May not be. Well, Ken, uh, do you think uh, – I didn't get in touch with uh, Ahmad, and we didn't show up Monday, so I hope he's not upset with us. We didn't come on Monday yeah. night. Remember, <laughs> it's two Mondays, 9-11, right so folks – did he get in contact yeah, I, with you? Uh, by all means, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I can do more than uh, one a week and I try to work it in because, as you well know, I've got like three, maybe four different lives I'm running at the same time right now, everything from miniature horses to my, my wife's uh, showmanships and other events going on as well as the uh, Air Force Auxiliary that I'm a, a, a lieutenant colonel with them and I have to meet with meetings every week. So um, I'm... I'm doing what I can best, and that is to to help those coming along that need help and be a part of um, the the process of learning. And hopefully, um, what I'm kind of <clears throat> been doing in this timeline, lifeline, will be accepted. And uh, I may not have to do this all over again. I'd appreciate that sometime. Although I've been, <laughs> really, I've really, been in, I've really been enjoying this lifetime because <clears throat> I'd have to know you in a past life, maybe different. Now, for people that don't know, am I correct me if I'm right here? Are you five foot eleven, or six foot? Uh huh. And this uh-huh. role in mission, I've been accused yep. of being six foot because I, I always have shoes or heels on. But basically, yep. uh, the military gave me five eleven. You know, when you stand barefoot and stretch, you know, without right. having to lay on the floor, I was five eleven. <laughs> but I've lost a half inch uh, with age and degenerative. Disease, it's called I compression. Guess, compression of the joints. Yeah. Compression. Same with yeah, me. Five, ten and a half. <laughs> oh, well, I'm. I'm so. um, I I can go any place that you tall people can go, and I don't bump my head because I'm down to about. Four. <laughs> I used to be five seven and three quarters. I never made it to five eight. So and I now my cousin Don Garrett was uh, six foot six and graduated from West Point and went into the Air Force at the time. Whatever that's what they could do. 
And he said he'd get in one of these little fighter jets he got and taxiing out, and he'd hit the button to bring the canopy down on the top, and he'd crunch his, his helmet down inside, and he'd have to reach down and lower the seat so he could fly in there. In my case, I don't have to worry about that. Sometimes I have to crank the seat up a little higher so I can see over the dashboard. So, at any rate, now that, that's why we're different, and it gives us a new perspective, different perspective uh, yeah, of life. So I've enjoyed it. Right. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. And if, if I'm only able to do it once uh, once a week, we'll do it that way. Or if it's important, you'll, you'll get a hold of me and yank my chain, okay? Well, I'll have to show up Monday, I guess, and help him if I can remember. Folks, we love you for being here on the planet. And if you're off planet, thank you for listening to our radio waves. We hopefully are going to get our act together and get ourselves back out there helping with all you guys out there terraforming and colonizing in space. And uh, we're welcoming this mysterious mission coming up. We're calling it the Space Force. And uh, I'm looking forward to it being separate because they had uh, folks, remember, out above our own solar system, there's a whole lot to do out there. It's like uh, I compare it to Columbus crossing over and finding America or whoever the uh, Nordics were and the Norwegians that come up, right. went to Canada and yeah. down. That's another thing. But yep. they're but finding out keeping, that there's. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say everyone keep the attitude of love, even if they are different species from a different, um, yeah, different place in the universe. Show a feeling <laughs> of love and concern, and we'll be able to have a a much happier life timeline. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Ken. So you, I guess you just hold the fort together. You anchor in our group, okay? And I'm I'll fine. help you any way I can, and we'll just see who wants to play. Right now it's just people showing up in social media groups on Facebook. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, they're all, they have time to show up and look on Facebook. Facebook's keen over all our websites. But, folks, you can join us on acoassociation.com or ufoassociation.org. Or alien contact dot. I know I've got U.S. alien contact, but my name is Teresa J. Morris. That's Teresa with an H. Teresa J. M. O. R. R. I. S. I was born Teresa J. Thurman, and I'm looking forward to what Ken and I. Ken, I found out you were on my show, and I found it in Cosmos Expo magazine back in 2016, <laughs> June How 2016. Yeah. So and. Uh, so we go back at least three years now. It might be May. But uh, look on Cosmos Expo and go uh, write that down, Ken, C-O-S-M-O-E-X-P-O, Cosmos. It looks like Cosmos Expo. It's C-O-S-M-O-S-E-X-P-O.com. And when you go down over one, two, three, four, scroll down to the bottom until you – Go over each page. I think it's on page two. 2016? But, uh, folks, I'll check it out. Good. CosmosExpo.com. And uh, if, if you just scroll down on CosmosExpo.com, you don't see your picture there, then you can roll down or go down to the bottom. It'll say page one, two, three, four. You know, as you scroll, like on your cell phone or on your website, and uh, see where you came on, and uh, I think it'll refer you back to the radio show. But, folks, okay. these radio shows are good if you want to stay in the reality of keeping your name out there. And, Ken, people will know you all over the world because something about cyberspace and coming on this show 
I haven't gone away now for almost eight years. So there's times I may take off or something if I don't have something urgent. I used to come on like seven nights a week to get started. And uh, some of them got deleted, like Stanton Friedman's. I wish I hadn't, but it did. But look up uh, CosmosExpo.com and scroll down to the well, – there's Janet. I just pulled it up. But let me look. I think, Ken, you're on the second page because it goes – you scroll all the way down to the bottom of – just scroll, scroll, scroll. And then it says one, two, three, four, next. I'm going to hit that. I think you're on that page. But uh, we can pull it where Ken – has a history. Let's see, Ken, where are you? Maybe back to page three, but I used to put a, a lot of stuff out in websites. Maybe it's page three. I don't see it, but Ken is, uh, we're going to build more information for Ken, and Ken will be going and representing us in Europe in September, and uh, Ken, I thank you for all you're doing. And uh, I guess you better go. It's time to end the show. And uh, we'll put some more information out there, Ken, your pictures well, and your work. So people hopefully okay. will want to join our club. Yep. And someone else is right. trying to come in line and good for them. So I'll have a good evening and we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Here we go. We're going to get out of here. Thank you, everybody.